0: Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. You guys doing all right with this series? Mm. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by anything. You know, Jesus is, is it. That's all there is don't get distracted. And and don't don't buy into the lie that it's complicated. It's not. It's not complicated. You know, he has kept it very very simple. You know, it's like we we all, you know, I know as you get older it's tougher. Apparently I'm in that category. Amen. But we all know like you know, if you want to lose weight, it's diet and exercise, right? Well, we overcomplicate it. Actually, we overcomplicate it by trying to simplify it, is <laughs> what we do. And then we yo-yo diet all over the place. You know, but in, in the faith, it's the same. It's, it's read your word, get in his presence, you know? You know, it, it really is that simple. Like, there isn't a, like, I've graduated from that, now I'm mature, and, and I've got, you know, something, something else that I employ for success. No, it's the same for every one of us all the way from the guy who just got saved all the way to the one you admire most in the faith. Everyone has to do exactly that. We get the oil the same way. We get the oil the same way. You know, and in some ways, this is kind of what Jesus has been telling us, you know, in this series. We know... If you've been with us for the last few weeks, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus introduce, introduces to us the end times, the, the, uh, the disciples, they're, they're coming to him, and they're like, Jesus, when, like, tell us about this stuff. When is this stuff going to take place? Because Jesus was talking about Jerusalem being destroyed and such. Now, Matthew chapter 24 is that chapter where he begins to explain that, but that but, but I would suggest that before he ever even exits the chapter, what he says to us is, hey, hey, Don't get distracted by end times theology. Is it wrong to focus on end times theology? No, that's not what what I'm saying at all. It's a great pet project. It's fascinating side material. But Jesus is the main course. Okay, and, and that's, that's immediately what he calls us into, and, and the, the, the first thing that we come to is, is him immediately admonishing us then, like, blessed is the one found faithful, and if I could just paraphrase it in, you know, Shawnee's version, you know, it's, it's blessed as the one found faithful to their calling when I return. That's the very first thing that Jesus tells us. So I'm saying, like, don't get distracted by all of these other things. It's easy to run off into the weeds over here on all this stuff. And it is fascinating. And it's like, and it's perplexing. And, and it's, hey, it's worthy of investigating. But don't get distracted by all of these things. Keep the main thing, the main thing. What have I told you to do? Blessed is the one faithful and who is doing that when I come back. Guys, I'm telling you, that's my go-to end times verse and I believe that it should be yours as well. I can't get off into the ditch on all of the stuff. I don't get as so many did in the 70s to make the decision to not go to college because it's imminent Jesus is coming back any moment now, right? No, I get to hear and obey. I get to hear my calling. What have you called me to do? And last week we talked about that just a little bit. This is just a bit of a reminder. You know, last week we talked about that the pursuit isn't some elusive calling. You know, the pursuit at the end of the day is, is Jesus, it, it, you're going to hear the same answer a lot today, apparently. You know, the pursuit is Jesus, not, not an elusive calling. And I know that so many in here, some of you, you might even be in your 70s this morning and you're like, Lord Jesus, like, I wish I knew what my calling was. I, I wish that you would make it plain and clear. that The pursuit isn't an elusive calling. The pursuit is Jesus. And in the pursuit of Jesus, your calling becomes clear. Okay? Blessed is the one, at minimum... Like, there, there are some things that you, like, good works that have been set aside for you, but blessed is the one who's found faithful to his calling. At minimum, every single person, you know, in here is called to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So that is our main calling. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to, do. you just pursue Jesus. That is every person's calling, okay? And so he's drawing us back to that. Don't get distracted by these end times. Just keep your eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of your faith right? And, and, and then he, he immediately jumps into a parable, the parable of the, of the virgins, which was introduced a few weeks ago by Pastor Todd. You know, and, and as I've already alluded to this morning, it's the, it's, the, it's the pursuit of Christ that produces the abundance of oil, the metaphorical oil that we need to be able to endure the prophesied delay. How many of you know we are in the prophesied delay right now? You know, we're talking 2,000 plus years of, of, I was going to say American history, God bless America, thank you, Jesus, (laughs) of of human history. You know, we're we're, we're 2,000 years plus into this delay. Like this is, it's talking about like the, the keeping Jesus the main thing, but pursuing him, having these delayed times in his presence where I store up for myself that which will get me through to when he comes back. The parable of the virgins. And then last week we talked about the parable of the talents. So Jesus is introducing these concepts to us. I would submit to you answering the question, well, it's the end times, so what are we supposed to do? Like, what, how do we prepare for the end times? Uh, I could add, what should be my focus? Jesus is immediately answering these questions for us. Don't get distracted. I'm still the main thing. Do what I told you to do. At minimum, that means pursuing me, which again is the segue into the parable of virgins. At minimum, that means pursuing me, making me your everything, and I guarantee you when you do that, you'll stumble into all of these, and then we move into the parable of the talents where he begins to challenge all of us. How many of you know you've been given something by God? The air that you breathe is not yours because you've been bought with a price. Right? The Bible says you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, part of the cost that you were to count before you said yes to him was the cost of the sovereignty over your life. Are we okay with that? That's the cost. What's the cost, Lord? I see that you've spilled your blood that I may have an eternity with me. What's the requirement? The requirement is your life. Make no mistake about it, the moment that you say yes to Jesus, you are not your own. You do not have a right to lead your own life. You only have a right to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit because sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. That's it. We as a person, as people who have been bought with a price, that's the blood of Jesus that we just celebrated this morning in communion together. Those of us who have been bought with a price, everything that we are, everything that we touch, it's just now a simple stewardship of that which is his. And we understood last week that a stewardship in God's mind isn't just taking what he's given me and maintaining it. See, it didn't go very well for the guy that had the single talent, right? It's not just maintaining it. It's not just guarding it. It's not just protecting what he's given me. It's advancing and multiplying it in God's eyes. Proper stewardship is always multiplication. It's always multiplication. Guess what? If that's true, and it's the word of God, so it is, you know, then we don't have an excuse to be lazy. We don't have an excuse at all, actually. We don't have the ability to make an excuse... Because as a steward of that which is another's, I'm responsible to please the one who owns this stuff. I'm responsible to please not myself, but my master. So I don't get an excuse. Right? And that brings us up to today, it, and, and, I, and I've said many times that Jesus introduced three parables, and today it's really the, the, the last episode of uh, the, the, or I should say maybe the finale of the conversation that Jesus started in Matthew 24, and it's not as much a parable as it is kind of a description of what's to come for all of us, Okay. So it's not as much a parable as it is a, a, a future reality. And we start in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Now, I, I want to preface this moment by saying this. I have a value for reading the Word of God together with you. You know, and, 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 I, and I like for you to see where I'm coming from, from Scripture. That's why you've heard Pastor Misty say many times, well, we always break the rules around here. We have 55 Scriptures. We were supposed to have three. Sorry, not sorry. You know, we really want you to see that everything that we say is not an opinion as much, though certainly it's my opinion of what's written, uh, but more importantly, it's what is written. (laughs) It's coming from the Scriptures. I don't know that I said that well, but I hope you get the point, right? And so such is the case today. I'm going to read this whole entire passage So put on your seat belts. (laughs) Starting in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, come, Lord Jesus, come, (laughs) then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Now, How many of you know that for a very long time, to include the years that Jesus was present on the earth, the Jews had the wrong view of the Messiah? See, they believed that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that when he would come, that he was going to come in a domineering way. I kind of wish he'd had. I'd like to have seen it. You know what I mean? You know, but he was going to come in a domineering way. You know, he was going to be the the king that would ride in on his white horse with his sword drawn, and he was going to annihilate the enemy. Now, remember, we're talking about a people who had been occupied by, by all kinds of people throughout history and presently who were being occupied by Rome, right? They hoped that the Messiah, they believed from the scriptures that the Messiah was going to come back and dominate and set himself up on his throne and put Israel. excuse me, uh, Rome under his feet, right? How many of you know that didn't happen in his first coming? Now, Jesus is here clarifying to them in this passage, look, all of that, all of that has been reserved for the next time that I come. How many of you know Jesus is coming back again? You know, And, and the, the throne that we see represented here, it's talking about his dominion and his authority. Like this is the very thing that was confusing to them at his first coming. And yet it's also the very thing he's now clarifying to them. This is not the time for that. There will be a time for that in the future. I will establish my throne in the earth, but only at my second coming. Can you see that in the passages? Now guys, listen. <laughs> this, is, this is where you can get off into the weeds. You're like, wait a second. Like, so let me get this right. So you're going to establish your throne. It wasn't the first time. It's going to be the, the second time. I can see here it's tied to your second coming. seems to be right after your second coming. You know, and you're coming with this judgment. Is this the same as the other judgments that are, de- that are described throughout the scriptures? Or is this one somehow unique? What's the, what's the purpose of this judgment? Why would you have more than one? You know, and, and, and as, you, as you continue, like, let me just ask the question. I wrote a few of them down just to confuse you. Like, yeah, is, is this the same as other judgments listed? You know, what is this particular judgment? What is this scenario now being outlined in Matthew 25? What does that say about the millennial reign of Christ? Some of y'all are like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about because you haven't studied Revelation. You know, what's it say about the millennial reign of Christ? Is this the same thing as the great white throne of judgment? Uh, I think it's Revelation chapter 20. Is this the same judgment? Is he talking about the, the, the same thing? And, and if he's not, again, why is, there, why is there more than one judgment taking place? And if you read a little bit further, he's talking about uh, separating the sheep and the goat, and he's talking about how the goats, it's not going to end very well for them. That's a long woot right there. Yes, Lord, we agree and cast our amen to that. You know, the uh, wow, kids. Whew, they distract me at home. They distract me on the stage. Help me, Lord. It doesn't end well for the goats. You know, and it goes on to say that the goats, those who do not know Jesus, it begins to talk about how they will spend an eternity in hell, okay? But that just brings further confusion to the passage. I don't know what your view of hell is. By the way, it exists in case anybody's lied to you and said otherwise. Uh, But if you read the the chapters in in the book of Revelation, it says that Hades and the dead that are in Hades still exist all the way till the great white throne judgment, seemingly implying that hell isn't open yet. (laughs) Are you confused yet? Like, well, wait a second. This seems to be another judgment. You seem to be implying that this judgment results in them being in an eternity in hell, but hell isn't even open to the great white throne judgment. So which is it? I don't know, Lord. I'm utterly confused. And the truth is we could literally spend a lifetime going after all of the nuance of the language and what it's talking about. And here's the, more, like, here's the rest of the truth. You know that Jesus could have salted in a little bit of Daniel, could have salted in a little bit of Isaiah. You know what I mean? Like these books were available, by the way to him. Like, he could have been like, hey, no, this is that. This is where this fits into the timeline. I know I gave you a timeline earlier in the, in the 24th chapter. You know, we're like a whole chapter away. Now, that's all right. I'm going to circle back for you. Let me just put this in alignment. This is that. This is the judgment. This is why it is, right? But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. I would submit to you because that's not the point, and, and if we if we if we get off into the weeds on all of this stuff, we are missing the point of the passage. Is it good to ask the questions? You are obligated to ask the questions. This is how we study Scripture. We ask questions of the Scripture. We invite the Holy Spirit, who wrote it, who breathed it, to speak to us about that which is written in the pages. You should be doing that. But when we get off into the endless discussion of this is that, this is where this fits, and I don't know, how many of you know, you can get utterly confused and completely distracted from your pursuit of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, like I would say, out of everything that you hear taught on the end times, you need to remember this, do not get distracted. If we get distracted, we're missing the point of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Even, hi there, even the book of Revelation begins by telling us it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, it's, uh, we've made it about all kinds of things, but rarely do I hear anybody teach about the revelation of Jesus Christ from the pages of Revelation. But that's what it is. Why does it say that on the onset of the roadmap for the end times that we call the book of Revelation? Because he's admonishing us, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. So when we read these things, I'm telling you, it's so e- listen. Listen, as a good teacher, I forget more than I, than I I tell you, I, I like, I'm like, I've taught this before. What did I teach? I don't even know anymore. I got to study it again and again. I just forget it all. But as a good teacher, I always study way more than I actually give to you on a Sunday morning. Right? And so I'm going after this, and I'm asking some of the questions that I just presented to you, and the next thing you know, five minutes in, I found myself in the swirl going, wow, I don't even know where I'm at anymore, Lord. I'm like, "This, like, like, like if, if you're sitting in the hell, then this is the great white throne judgment, which actually means this is the millennia, the millennium, and this doesn't look like the millennium to me, and you haven't set up your, your throne yet because you said that's the second coming, and now I'm just absolutely confused. I don't know what's going on in this package. And literally I go, "Ha! welcome to your first illustration, your sermon illustration for Sunday. How did you like the swirl? I didn't like it, Lord. Great, good. Step out of that and get back on track. (laughs) Right? It was like even for me just trying to prepare so that I had the the foundation necessary to even bring a simple message on Sunday. I already found myself getting sucked in. Have you felt yourself ever getting sucked in? (laughs) Yeah, goodness sakes. Help us, Jesus. Let's continue. <laughs> Verse 34. Now this is where you really need your seatbelts buckled. says, <sighs> I get my heart pumping up here. <laughs> then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come on. Thank you, Lord. For I was hungry... And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and and thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or naked and clothe you? Verse 39. When did we see you sick or in prison or, and, and, and come to you? And the king will answer and he will say this to them. Truly I say to you that to the extent that you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. See, it wasn't even prepared for human beings. That wasn't God's intent. It was prepared for the angels. Just saying. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me, excuse me, you did not give me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Verse 44, then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and a stranger and naked and sick and in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into ex- uh, eternal life. I was going to say external. Eternal life. Huh. It's a profound passage. Profoundly scary. But I would submit to you this. In the four, really, and the four points that Jesus makes: Don't get distracted. Do this instead. And this final point, He's inviting us into community. He's inviting us into community. He's inviting us into care and concern of the people that are around us. He's inviting us into intentionality. He's inviting us to have eyes to see and to be the answer and the solution to the problems that we face in our spheres of influence. That's what's happening here. Now, I want to to make this really plain to you, so so take a look at at the list of things that, that Jesus prescribes for us here. He says this, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, so we're talking about food, Right? right? I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, water. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, shelter. I was naked, you clothed me, clothing. I was sick, and you visited me, health. I was in prison, and you came to me. I would suggest that's help in time of need, or care and concern of others. Can I submit to you that these are the basic things that every human being needs to survive in this world? You know, it's not like, I wanted a Lamborghini and you released it from heaven. Come on, Jesus. It doesn't say that on the list, right? I mean, but what does it say? It's food, water, shelter, clothing, health, and care and concern of others. These are the basic fundamentals of life. And these are the things he's suggesting that we should be concerned with in these end times. So you can't divorce this from the end times context that it's brought to us in. These are the things that are supposed to consume our focus. Well, what do we do when the Antichrist comes and they plant this weird chip that Elon Musk is talking about in my brain and I can't buy and sell anything anymore and I start to starve to death? Well, uh, this here, this is admonishing us before that time comes to get ourselves plugged into a community of people who love us and care for us and who can help one another and identify these basic needs of life and address them together that 's what it 's saying before you get to the and see this is the problem with church in, in, in America in 2020s The, the, the problem is it 's like we want to be a part of the family, but we don 't want to make the sacrifice we just want the benefits like, but how many of you know like if you 're in the family, you, you still have to do the dishes right like that 's what it actually means in a part to be a, a part of the family. Like, listen, everybody hates Uncle Bob when he falls asleep after the game when all the women are in the kitchen scrubbing dishes after they already did all the food. Uh Uh-oh, some of you all aren't Uncle Bob, aren't you? If you want to be great, he calls us to serve. We can start in our own households. It's all right, guys. It's okay. You'll, you'll, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. You no know, family places a, de- a demand on me, doesn't it? Family does the dishes. Family replaces the toilet paper on the dispenser after you've used it all. Listen, some of you all getting a real lesson right now this morning. This is, like, this is profound. Like, I didn't hear anything that man was speaking until right now. That toilet paper roll. That, like, I saw some elbow jabs. They're literally right there in that. <laughs> but family... <laughs> Family calls us to an account, doesn't it? You know Family creates a space for people to mature into self-sufficiency, doesn't it? What we, what we tend to do we, what we tend to do is we, we want the, the results or the benefits of family. You know, the benefits of family are like, oh man, that nice warm hug, and when I'm in trouble, somebody bails me out, and you know what I mean, like, and everybody knows my name, and some of those fun things, but but we don't really want to actually invest in people on the other side of it, and so what we tend to do is we come through the door on a Sunday morning, and we have surface relationships, and we don't go any further, and then when I land myself in the hospital, I'm just offended at church because nobody visited me, because literally nobody knew you were there. I can't believe nobody visited me. But well, you didn't invest in family on the front end. Nobody even knew you were there. Right? So we're, we're called to step into family care and concern. We're, we're called to step into community. But our care and concern, listen, is not an entitlement where you come through the door and you kind of go, all right, I'm here. Everybody gets to serve me now. Everybody gets to serve me. I'm going to take a nice nap after that turkey and let all of those other tithing members take care of those dishes. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like their tithe tax is paying for me, baby, you know? (laughs) It's not an entitlement. The, the call for us to, to address the concerns of life that we find on this list. It's not an entitlement for somebody to come in and ride on our good morals and ride on our relationship with Jesus and suck all of the life out of you and the church but give nothing back to the family. That's not the design. See, the, the command to care for one another shouldn't move us into entitlement, it should actually have the opposite result. It should actually move us into service. It should move us into service. Jesus is outlining that we need to become a part of a committed community that actually sees into my life and not just the little surface landscape that I paint to be pretty for everybody, that really sees me, that really knows what's going on can connect with me, can intervene, can bring accountability. Listen, not just hand me money when stuff is going sideways, but partner with me into maturity by providing accountability. Resources, yes, I want to give you resources because I know you and I love you. You're a part of my smaller group network. We've, we've come to, to establish a relationship and a connection, so giving to you and certain that's easy. But I'm going to commit to walk with you in family, walk together with you so that when a need presents itself, it's an easy ask. And I think this is what we see in the book of Acts. The book of Acts talks about a time when they were were given unto the church and given unto one another uh, such that there wasn't a single need being unmet among the entirety of the church. Why? Because they were breaking together in intimate family units where they were looking into the eyes of one another where nobody was entitled or reserving what was required of the family relationship, but all were actually invested and sowing into something such that everybody was taken care of. And, guys, I would, I would liken this unto a marriage. You know, we, we get into this place, and, you know, like, uh, as first, first Peter chapter 3 speaks to women. It's been a, a, ver, it's a beautiful verse. Thank you, Lord, for it. But it's been used to domineer and abuse women forever. Women, you will win your abusive husband by your chaste and respectful ha- behavior. So you just shut your mouth, suck it up, and submit to the abuse. It'll get better eventually. No, 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 this is actually a mutual submission, right? Submit ye unto one another, right? We skip over that verse. Right where I, as a husband, am called to, to, to love and honor and cherish, to literally lay down my life for that woman like Jesus laid down for the church. Like Those are actually my marching orders. And as I step into proper leadership of my home, yes, she's called to come alongside, and there's a form of submission and a form of headship and all those dynamics that happen, but you know what? It all works really, really well when I'm laying down my life and when she's laying down her life. See, because when she's laying down her life and sewing into me and I'm laying down my life and I'm sewing into her, all of a sudden everyone's needs are being covered and taken care of. There's not one single person who's the beneficiary of that relationship, but everybody's winning. And this is the same thing in the church. Where we've gotten wrong is to have people who come who are sucking off of the benefit of family, but not willing to sew into family. And it's that one-sided relationship thing happening all over again where it's like, no, 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 and I'm going to make you feel bad, and I'm going to manipulate you, because after all, you're supposed to be like Jesus, you bunch of filthy Christians, so you need to address my needs and all of my pain and misery and pay all my bills and, you know, sozo me from now until Jesus comes back. Like, you need to do it all for me. No, no, this is a mutual thing. This is family. You still have dishes to do. And doing the dishes is actually part of the prescription for you walking into maturity. (laughs) Jesus is here calling us into community. He's calling us into family. He's calling us into accountability. He's calling us into concern for one another. He's calling us to address the needs of one another and he's saying that these are the things that are important in these end times. Do you know that our our love for God is inextricably linked to our love for people? Oh gosh. God help us. I mean, has anybody said something like, well, I I love Jesus, but I I don't like people. (laughs) Come on. I know know you've all said it. Uh, Okay. So it's just me. (laughs) It's just me. Uh (laughs) If you hate people, you really don't have a people problem. You've got a vertical problem there's a couple of scriptures. I'm just going to throw them at you just so you have them. John 13, 35 says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They will know because you are actually demonstrating what you believe. See, in, in, uh, we, I know that I always preach against the, like, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words, but here's the case where it actually applies aptly. Like, I can can talk to you all day long. No, you need Jesus. Oh, you're going to hell. You're a filthy sinner. Blah, 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 blah. You need Jesus. And then go home and abuse my wife. How many of you know it doesn't make a difference what comes out of my mouth? Because my life's not consistent with what I'm saying. Are we all right? So in this case, there has to be a consistency in my life. A perfection? No, goodness sakes. There's not a single person in here who's perfect. I mean, the, the Johns tell us that. There's nobody who's perfect. We're not, we're not trying to be you know, perfect. Well, we are trying to be perfect specimens, actually. You know, uh, most of us are falling short of that you know we're not talking about like a like this elusive perfection that just seems to miss our grasp and so then we heap on condemnation and, and no that's not that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about this weird perfectionism we're talking about hey look we're all on a journey together but my life shows and demonstrates that i love god and i am on pursuit of him you know sometimes the best way we can demonstrate that i'm sorry And not the kind of sorry that's just lip service, where tomorrow you do the same thing again. I'm talking about the sorry that's an expression of genuine repentance. The Bible says genuine repentance actually bears fruit. You know? Uh, (laughs) Ever been snippy with your wife? I was just this morning. She probably doesn't even know it. See, it's happen- it happens so frequently. She's just like oh, whatever, man. <laughs> whatever, dude. See, I, I had I had said something. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get some of you today. I had said something, and in, and in my beautiful D brain, I had communicated it clearly and accurately and adequately. And then she asks me to repeat myself, like, but but it was like it was like she was processing something else. It was like she wasn't listening at all. And so I was snippy in my response. doesn't make sense to anybody, does it? And I've done the same thing with my children. Sometimes I've done it with sheep. You know, know, the best thing you can do is just go, see, it's not perfection. We all screw up. We make these kinds of mistakes. But in these kinds of contexts, it's hey. You know, I don't even know if you notice it, but I was a little bit a little extra this morning and, and I'm sorry. I noticed it. Holy Spirit mentioned it and I'm now I'm now repenting for it. Right? So it's not perfect like like that kind of stuff, like that's that's love. That's the kind of stuff, like they will know Jesus in you by this kind of stuff, not by your perfection, though certainly that's not ruled out. But in our imperfection, we are pursuing Christ, and my pursuit of Christ actually looks like something. In many cases, it looks like my public repentance, meaning, you know, at least one-to-one. Is this making sense? We are called to love one another, and they will know that we are with Jesus when we do this. Look at this next one. 1 John 4.20. This one's a scary one. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he can see, cannot love God, whom he cannot see. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Our love for God and our love for people are inextricably linked. I mean, does the can the language get any harsher? I don't know. You say you love Jesus, but with your life you're proving you're a liar. Based on what? Based on my interaction with other human beings. That's a scary verse right there, guys. And it brings us back to this place where Jesus is saying this. It's like, You cannot hate people, despise people, refuse to be around people, refuse to engage in family, and say that you love me. How can he say something like that? Because when I love God, I love the things that he loves. And listen, I'm here to tell you there's nothing he loves more than people. There is nothing he loves. Listen, we're going to get a new heaven and a new earth. Everything goes away. What stays are people. He loves people. So when we love God, we're infected by that love and the response, the natural response of that is we become like him and we begin to love people. And see, that's the other part of it. We are like that which we behold. So if we are spending time in God's presence, we become like him, he likes people. He loves to be around people. He he even demonstrated that in his earthly ministry. Even the, the worst of sinners, there is Jesus in the midst of them just loving on them. No judgment at all, just in the middle of it all. Like, no, God loves you more than that because you're priceless. See, it kind of comes back to that conversation, doesn't it? Jesus was willing to pay a price, the ultimate price, for people. So how could I look at people and go, mm, I don't like you. Oh, no, Jesus and I were good. Jesus and I were good, and now people, I don't do people. No, if you don't do people you've got a vertical relationship issue. Because when I pursue him, I become like him. When I love him, I love the things that he loves. And again, he doesn't love anything more than he loves people. Are we all right this morning? Hmm. So we find ourselves in the end times. What do we do to prepare? How are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to set our eyes on? Let me go through the list. Be faithful to your call. What is he said to do? Not some elusive call, though also that's true if he's told you to do it, but at minimum a pursuit of him and his face, which is a beautiful segue to the second point that we get from the parable of virgins. Pursue intimacy with him. With everything that you've got, with all of your soul, mind, and strength, you know, that, that somebody had gone to Jesus and they said, what are the greatest commandments? Jesus said, love God with all your soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, except pointed at people. Love God, love people. That's it. That's what he requires of you. Like, what what is a life laid down? What does that look like? It's, I carry this little cross around with me. As a reminder that my flesh has been hung on this thing, and every time I'm tempted to try to resurrect it by doing something stupid, I can go, oh, yep, there it is, the torture instrument for my old man. Thank you, Lord. You know, and I love God with everything that's on the inside of me, and this inspires me to love people with everything that's on the inside of me. Are we okay? Pursue intimacy with Jesus. There is nothing worse, if you can imagine, Looking back again at the parable of the virgins, there would be nothing worse in this life or the life after than to stand before Jesus and have him say, I didn't know you. I don't know you. And over and over again, we have passages where that's the conclusion of the passage. I didn't know you. But God, I did all these amazing things in the charismatic church in your name. I prophesied, heal the sick. I don't even know how these people who don't know him get to do those things because like, I do and I'd like to do more of that. But there it is in the scripture, depart from me for I do not know you. That would be the worst thing to hear. Guys, listen, it's completely dependent upon you, not him. That's what we learned from the parable of the virgins, This intimacy with Jesus is, is dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon him. He's standing there ready to go. And he's asking the question, will you with intentionality come after me? such that you're able to fill up the oil that gets you through this life. We multiply. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Everything is a stewardship. My life, I, I'm stewarding this thing before God. And I'm required at minimum to go after maturity in every area. I'm not a very good parent. Don't give me the excuse about who your daddy was. Because when you were born again, you got a new daddy, and he's pretty darn good at his job. And the Bible is full of how you can be better at yours. There's no excuse that works when God calls stewardship multiplication, all right? We are called to multiply, go after self improvement, and make disciples. How many of you know you all have something to offer? Part of our stewardship is fulfilling the Great Commission. You go preach the gospel to all of creation. You win them to Christ, and then you disciple them. That is the process. And lastly, number four, we become part of a community, and we serve others in love. We have to be close enough in relationship with people that we know what's happening in their lives so that we can be the partner, the go-between, between between heaven, between God's hand, and, and their heart and their lives. We have, to be, we have to be close enough to people, which means you both have to be vulnerable like and, and intentional, all of you, to come together in community for his namesake. You have to be close enough to be able to see what's going on so that you can be the solution that God wants you to be and thus demonstrate the love of God through your love for those people that are around you. Right? That's what we do. So don't get distracted don't get distracted by end times. Don't get distracted, you know, distracted by Bitcoin. Don't get distracted by eliminating, you know, cash money so that it's all on credit, and then they got you. Don't get distracted by, you know, the wars in Israel and all of the nations beginning to rise up and align themselves against Israel and the, uh, you know, two-state solution and all the stuff. That, right? Like, don't get distracted by it. Know the heart of God around it. Pray for peace in Israel and the Middle East. Yeah, sure, do all that stuff. Don't get distracted. These are the things that are important to God. I am not going to stand before him and get a lecture and a, and a pop quiz on how well I assimilated the book of Revelation and Daniel and Isaiah and all the stuff and created my little road map for eschatology. But what I am going to have to give account to are these four things that Jesus told us. Am I faithful? Am I doing what he's called me to do? Have I pursued him with everything that's on the inside of me? Have I, you know, have, I, have I multiplied? Have I done something with intentionality? Have I done something with what he gave me? And have I gotten myself a part of a community who can provide accountability and help me when I slip to the left or to the right and invest in my life and who I can invest in their life because Jesus has called us to come together in the community to do this thing? And listen, if things go the way it looks like they're supposed to go in the book of Revelation, you're going to need that community then more than ever. But don't wait till the very last second because then you'll be the guy in the hospital that nobody knows. Nobody even knows you're there because you waited too long to invest. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your clear word. We ask that you would move upon it that you would establish it deep in our hearts. For those who have given an excuse not to be in community, not to invest, for those who have been entitled, for those who have been hurt by people and thus have shrouded themselves in a wall and a barrier that keeps them separate from people. Father, I'm asking that you would come move not just with conviction, but with your overwhelming healing salve over every injury, at the hand of people over every time when, yeah when it didn't seem like you showed up, whatever it is, God, that's ailing us and keeping us rejected, aloof, disconnected, and entitled, we're asking this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would break it off, that you would open our eyes and that you would sow us into this community that we could be the church that you have called us to be, that we could be the people who are close enough with our sphere of influence, we're close enough with our destiny group, we're close enough with the people that we're doing this life together with that we know what's happening, We know when they need food and water and clothes and shelter, prayer for healing and all the stuff. We know when they just need a cup of coffee to talk with somebody. We know because we're invested and they're invested in us and everyone's taken care of. Help us to build this community, Jesus. Help us to submit ourselves to that kind of community and to be vulnerable at the level that you've called us to, that we may accomplish your will in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.